1: Hello, friends, and welcome to a special edition of Bantering the Blue Shirts. Unfortunately, Joe Fortunato could not be with us. Uh, he had uh, something like a family emergency, so we wished nothing but the best to Joe and his family. And uh, so I had to try and find someone to do the show with. As always, I'm Mike Murphy. I asked a couple people from Blue Shirt Banner. They all failed me. They all let me down. They left me alone. And so I thought, you know, essentially, like I have to call somebody up, and who better to call up than someone who has called some AHL games? I turned to my dear friend Matt Falconberry, who actually, your one-year wedding anniversary is imminent now, right?
0: Yeah, it's uh, in August. Uh, so uh, ten ten months. It's uh, we're nine months into the to the whole marriage thing. Well, there you
1: go. Uh, yeah, but uh, Matt Falkenberry, some of you may know. Um, as the voice of the Riveters uh, I've, I've known Matt for a couple of years As I mentioned, he has actually called uh, NWHL games And he's also called some AHL games And uh, some NCAA Division 1 games as well uh, Big sports guy Someone I have spent a lot of time You know, talking hockey with at hockey rinks And also a Rangers fan So I figured, you know what? Pretty good guy to call up Call from the bullpen And Matt, we have... Joe and I talked last week about how kind of the news about John Davidson becoming the president of the Rangers was all but inevitable. It was just a matter of when it would be announced, and since the last show that Joe and I did, it is now official. JD is the next, uh, next president of the Rangers, and just before that happened, uh, Jim Schoenfeld resigned, or rather stepped down as an assistant general manager... Which was kind of the uh, you know kind of a sign that something was coming, and you know it was generally thought of as you know just a good thing to kind of clean house a little bit. And now JD steps in, and a voice that both you and I grow grew up with with JD. But do you like this move? Do you think JD is going to be a better fit than Say there was?
0: Oh, I mean, I think so. I think one thing that JD did twice in his career was. He went into situations where they were either rebuilding or at a very low point. And I wouldn't say the Rangers are at a very low point, but they're rebuilding. And so I think that really helps. He you know, he went from the broadcast booth and took over a St. Louis team coming out of the lockout. That was not really good. I mean, they were a terrible team. They were a bad team, yeah. They were very bad, and it was kind of... It reminded me a lot of at the in the moment when he when he left the broadcast booth and went to St. Louis. It was kind of very similar to the, the path that Matt Millen took with Detroit and obviously with the Lions and the NFL. And it was like, in in the sense, it was the same broadcaster becomes president of a team. Obviously, there was a huge difference between what JD was able to do in St. Louis and what. Matt did in Detroit. Matt Millen is, you know, a pariah in in Detroit, and John Davidson, I think, is looked at as someone who really helped the Blues, even to this day. I mean, I didn't realize the effect that he has on that team now, like with Petrangelo, for example, and some of the other players he helped bring in, and when I was reading the stories about him... But, he, but I actually look at what he did in St. Louis more so than what he did in Columbus because Columbus, yeah, there was some turmoil and, and Nash wanted out and, and there were certainly some issues and he helped turn that around. But, boy, St. Louis was at the bottom of the barrel coming out of the lockout. You had those new rules. You had the new – everything was kind of new and he was brand new to the whole experience and he helped turn that team around big time. And they've been really successful, you know, in the years he was there and then in the years he's left. They haven't won the Stanley Cup. Not yet. Maybe they will. Uh, in another two weeks, but um, his fingerprints are on that franchise, even to this day, and I feel like he's at the age now that I don't know if he'll be the Rangers president for as long as Sather was, but I think he's the kind of guy that could get them set up to have a bright future when he does step down, so it's kind of weird to say he's near and then talk about when he's leaving, but he is at his advanced age, I think it's something that he's kind of the perfect guy to like get things set up and continue what Jeff Gordon and the front office has done so far and it doesn't hurt that you have the number two pick in the draft either
1: yeah that's I think that's something we do I know we've talked about it a lot on the show already but it is such a big part of what's going to happen here with the Rangers it's a um, it's a big part about you know, it's a big part of this rebuild, and it's going to start with really how JD views these younger players and these assets, and specifically, really the, the that second overall pick. And I know it's this on the. It feels like every other day, it's it's, it's either Kako or Hughes, and uh, um, what we're finding out now is, you know, it doesn't matter. As as Joe and I talked about last week, uh, whoever you get, you're going to be really happy with. And JD, I think, is. Is the guy who uh, he feels like an old school guy, but there are some some signs that he's a, a great deal more forward thinking than uh, the man he's replacing in Glenn Sather. And if Glenn Sather was really just about as old school as you can get for you know uh, a front office executive in the NHL. And uh, that's it's this is generally I think a, a good thing. I, I, I still think we need to learn a lot about what to expect in terms of JD style but like you pointed out Matt we've talked about it before in the show but what he was able to do in St. Louis and and Columbus I feel like he probably gets more attention for Columbus um, than what he did in St. Louis but he really helped turn things around in a big way for the Blues and in both of those franchises the AHL team and you said like the Rangers aren't in a bad desperate place but holy hell are the Hartford Wolfpack in that bad desperate place and if you want to rebuild, you need to build from a position of strength in the minors, and that's in the salary cap era. It doesn't matter how big your piggy bank is, and the Rangers' piggy bank is bigger than everyone else's. But if you can't build from within and develop those young players to have those cost-controlled contracts and and fill those holes outside of the free agency outside of free agency or the deadline, you're not going to get far. And it's a it's a good thing to see that. This process didn't get dragged out, didn't become a distraction in any way, shape, or form, which is a good thing. Uh, JD had specifically, you know, a part of his uh, contract extension he just signed last year in Columbus, included uh, an exit clause for any opportunity that might open with the Rangers because this organization means a lot to him. You and I, like I said, we grew up listening to him. We know all about Oh Baby and the Chateau Bow Wow and all those things that, you know, that made JD just... Someone you couldn't help but love, and then someone, as you and I both grew up, I'm sure you share this opinion, just someone you grew to respect as you understood you know, how revered he is in the hockey world, because he is, in the NHL, he is a big deal. Um, he's a, a man of influence and you know, a man who's earned a lot of respect and, and uh, admiration from his peers, so I'm excited to see what this next chapter of Rangers hockey looks like.
0: Yeah, I mean, me too. I I really am very excited about what he's going to bring to the team. I think... I think it really helps, too, that he has got all this experience. I mean, he's been the president of a hockey team outside, I think, of a little bit of a gap between the St. Louis and, and Columbus jobs. I mean, really since 2006. So he comes in with 13 years of experience running two teams that – and he's done it all in the salary cap era, too, by the way. I mean, he, he signed on the first, the, yeah, starting in year, point. two the salary cap. So he's he's used to that. He knows what he is. And he also – I think one thing that you notice, especially in Columbus, is he, incur- he really didn't – Get in the way of his general manager. I mean, Keke was able to make the moves he felt he had to make. Um, he, you know, he never, you know, shied away from, you know, uh, from making the kind of moves that were going to further the organization. I mean, you think about like the trade. Of um, for Panarin, for example, you know they went and they get Brandon Sod, and it was a big deal at the time that Sod was leaving Chicago, and he's going to be in Columbus, and he's now the big piece. And they 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 jump ship. They said we can get Panarin. We're gonna we're gonna make this move, and it made that team their team so much better. I mean the the you know I mean Bobrovsky it really helped you know a big time as well. I mean he was such a important piece of that team, and I mean Columbus is a team that it's it's like they're on the rise. I mean think about. I mean, let's go back to the 2000, I think it's the 2017 NHL draft. Let me just double-check that because they had yeah. the third, I think they had the third pick in that draft. And oh, everybody, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2016. Yeah, Dubois, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. the Dubois pick. And everybody was talking that Puyarvi was the third choice. So it was Matthews and Linear, one and two, and Puyarvi was going to be the third choice. That was, it, feel like, it felt like that was going to be it. And it wasn't. They went and took Pierre-Luc Dubois, Number three, and everyone was shocked, and and the Edmonton gets Pujarvi, and of course, Dubois has been very solid for Columbus for the last few years, and Pujarvi can't really get out of Bakersfield right now, and he's struggling, and and they're hoping that with a new coach there, that things can turn around, or maybe he ends up being another one of those guys that needs, you know, a change of scenery, but so, like, that's the one thing I felt like J.D. was very hands-off and i think well in, in a way like it just he didn't feel like he was over it was the it did not feel like an overlord type of thing it was just more like he was there to help and he was there to support but he wasn't trying to dominate everything which is kind of interesting because his mm. personality in the broadcast booth while not trying to quote unquote like take over a game he wasn't like dick vital or something you know he was a big personality in the broadcast booth but he was a big personality within reason, and that's kind of what I feel like he was as a president. He's a big personality, and the Ranger fans will know him, but it'll be within reason. He knows when he's got to be up and up front and give a quote, and he also knows when he needs to take a step back and let his GM do his thing and and put the team together that he feels is best. Obviously, with Davidson's input, and I think that was really evident with Col- what Columbus did, because I can't imagine too many presidents of the team would be willing to let their GM blow up the draft like Columbus barely has no picks yeah. and they went for it and you just boy in hockey and the way that it's all buttoned up and how nobody you know makes any offers to on contracts in terms of restricted free agents or things like that you just don't see teams going that hard for it and they did and even though they were knocked out in the second round and they, you know and those are kind of trades you want to win a cup with, it was, you know, it's it's admirable considering it. how I teams honestly, are alike.
1: I loved that they what Columbus tried to do, and I feel like, you know, they they won their first series, playoff series in franchise history. I mean, if you're a Blue Jackets fan, you might be, you know, you might find yourself imagining what if, right? Look, like, what if we traded Panarin and, and Bob at the deadline, and you know, what what sort of haul could we have brought back? Especially if we didn't do the trade for Zingle and and, you know, for for Matt Duchesne and everything, and even Adam McQuaid, for goodness sakes. But, like, I don't know, man. I loved it. I loved Columbus going for it. I, re- I have so much respect for it. I have so much time for that sort of move where you just go all in and, you know, you say, we're, we're, we're in it to win, and we're going to see what happens. Actually, I want to go back to the point you raised before we move on to the next topic because there was some more, uh, some more news in Rangers World. I feel like it, JD's ability... Yeah, or I really should say his personality. I think is an asset for a couple of reasons. One, I would imagine he has some kind of pre-existing relationship with James Dolan. I don't see how he wouldn't have that uh, based on you know his tenure with the team and you know his relationship with the Rangers. And the other part of this that I think is important is I feel like he's he has a gift for kind of working with people that you, we got to see a little bit of in the broadcast booth and see in the, in the way he's, uh, he's he's revered. Like, when you listen to Sam Rosen and even Joe Micheletti talk about John Davidson, you get the idea of what he means. And I feel like having a, a person of that kind of uh, gravitas in that position it can only be a good thing, especially for a guy who has to manage up and manage down like you do as a president. Like, I know it's generally considered, what does a president have to do, you know, is kind of make sure what the organizational layout looks like and, you know, keep owners from meddling. And the good thing for the Rangers is that James Dolan has never been meddlesome in terms of the operations of the Rangers, but he did have a unique relationship with Glenn Sather. And I feel like you need another personality, like a true personality, like you were saying with uh, JD, to kind of maybe make sure we don't have a a change in how Dolan, you know, handles the Rangers. And uh, I feel like JD is a great... Successor in terms of a guy who, if you're you know, a guy like James Dolan, you, you're you gonna listen to John Davidson because he's John Davidson, his name carries weight. He has, you know, he has that gravitas around him, just like Glenn Sather did. Um, but now to quickly move on, Matt, just to the next thing. So, we had another signing, it was reported uh, first by uh, I think it was Renaud Lavoie, the uh, I always get his name wrong because I'm terrible at French, but uh, he reported. You know, that uh, Igor Rikov signed um, entry-level contract for two years uh, with with an exit clause if he's sent to uh, the AHL. He can choose to uh, defect back to the KHL. Um, And that means, Matthew, that the Rangers have yet another defenseman signed. Um, And this contract does mean, just, you know, it's logical that we'll have Recov in North America next season. And that probably means Recov on the Rangers. Um, he is 22. Is, he's, he, last season he played for uh, Sochi in the KHL. Uh, he started off um, the year before he was with SK St. Petersburg. And he had a couple more goals this year, but his overall production I think might have been down. But the more important thing to understand there from the context of those stats is uh, Sochi was a very bad team. And St. Petersburg, SK, St. Petersburg is the best team in the KHL. So, I think he went from, yeah, he went from 12.33 ice time and St. Petersburg and in Sochi, he went up to uh, 19.24 a game. And in the playoffs, he was playing 21 minutes a game. So, that is the sort of thing that really catches my eye about this with... uh, with Rykov is that he was able to kind of move into a situation where he's playing a lot more hockey. Um, I haven't gotten to watch a lot of him play, n- not as much as I'd like to, but I do know, you know, the the book about him is just he's a big left side defenseman who we're still trying to figure out, you know, what exactly he can be. He of course came over in the uh, the Michael Grabner trade along with a second round pick that the Rangers used to move up to, to draft K. Andrew Miller, and already that looks like such a a great move because of what Dre Miller has shown in the brief time he's been a Rangers prospect.
0: But Recov to America, Matt. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think that one thing that the Rangers have done a really good job of, quite frankly, is they knew their defensive core is just not there. And obviously we saw that during the season. And they are trying everything they can to find six defensemen... And by the way, it's kind of weird saying defenseman because I'm so used to, in women's hockey, saying defender. Oh, me so, too. When yeah. I write
1: articles, I always I always just say defender. Like, I, I I bring it back in. It's even worse
0: if you're Canadian because they spell it with a C. There's no way. That's... That's right, they do, and it's so it's it's always it's always weird seeing it with the C, and then for me saying defenseman is just is just a little bit strange, and I'm so used to saying defender. But anyway, um, and they're just trying, I think, right now to find the best six that they can they can find, and I think there's a lot that goes into it because Shattenkirk is still there, and Brendan Smith is still there, and they're making a lot of money, and Mark Stahl is too, and the question is, you know, can and then Pionk, who did not have a very good second half of the season, and was really all. struggled struggled all year. I think, look, I think shea is he's in there it's 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 his it's his he's on the team period obviously, and d'Angelo as well outside of those two guys. There's either guys coming off injury, there are guys who are making a lot of money that you are not sure if they're going to be on the team. Doesn't mean that they shouldn't be, and I, I'm I don't like I'm still confused about why, in a way, and I know I know people are not confused about it as much as I am, why Shattenkirk should be on the block, you know, on the chopping block, especially because he only has two years left. And I'm thinking, why would I want to pay him for four years and not be on my team when I can have him for two and maybe get something out of him? But that's just me.
1: Yeah, I don't, even I don't it's, see any sense in buying out Shattenkirk. I've been saying it right, all along. Doesn't make sense. Right.
0: I, I I don't I don't understand it myself either. Um. So, but you, you have a lot of question marks. You have two guys, and you, hey, D'Angelo and Shea, they have good days and they have bad days. So they're certainly far from you know automatics either. But technically speaking, at least in my opinion, they they're they're solid enough. And so there's just a lot of question marks. You you know how about you know Hajik? All right, I don't even know I'm pronouncing his name right. The uh, the Hayek, kid they got yeah. from Hayek, Thank you. The kid they they got from Tampa Bay. You have you have to admit, Ranger fans. Let's be honest. Every Ranger fan would love for Rykoff to be, like, amazing player because, let's face it, sticking it to the Devil fan about getting this guy in a trade, a very rare Devils-Rangers trade, I mean, come on, it'd be, it'd be juicy. You know you'd love it. I'd Rangers, love it.
1: Really, the Rangers have already won that trade. I mean, Grabner... You're right, Grabner was not very good that. for
0: yeah. them. Yeah, he, he was bad for them, and then he left. Even.
1: Yeah, and uh, I
0: mean... I didn't realize to be honest with you that I didn't realize that the key, the the trade for Miller the move up in the draft with Ottawa to get Miller involved the devil's particular second round pick so i mean that's just, yeah, that just it's just it's just all good you know you know, it's yeah, fun it just adds a little little spice to it um so, so i just think like it, it feels a lot like to compare it to uh baseball for example there's a, there's a lot of young guns right now with a couple veterans sprinkled in and the idea is you're going to take your six best and that's what you have to hope I, there's a little bit of concern with me with quinn with david quinn about pionk and how much he trusted him and how he kept using him especially through throughout the season yeah. when he was struggling. <laughs> Outside of... and So that one concerns me. But other than that, I just... I love the fact that this team identified an issue and they have attacked it through a rebuild. They're not just... Throw, they threw money at Shattenkirk, and I understood that, but they were going for it at that moment. I don't know if... I don't think if Shattenkirk was a free agent in 2018, for example, they'd be uh, or 2019, excuse me, that they would be spending that kind of money. I think at the moment they bought they got him, it was because they thought, okay, we can take we can go for it again. Even though there was a yeah. step on trade, they still thought we can bring this guy in, help improve the defense, and we'll be okay. And the writing was on the wall very quickly. So I think now they're just kind of like bringing these guys in and saying, "Let's get our six in here. Let's figure this out and let's go to let's go to work with them. We believe in Quinn, Quinn's ability to to get these guys motivated and to make them better and it's better to have them in New York ready to go learning under this guy that we trust to make the best defense possible." So in a way, it's kind of scary that there's so many question marks for various different reasons, but on the other hand, the the glass half full is you it's, a, it's like you're giving Quinn a ball of clay, and you want him to mold it into something special. And with some of these guys that so young and talented, you think they can do it. I mean, Hayek, for example, in five games, everyone was like, he was so bad in Hartford. He came up to the the NHL, and he played really well. He looked really I've always, solid, yeah. I've always believed that sometimes guys, there's two ways to look at it. And I bring it back to a baseball analogy. Sometimes when you're in AAA, and you're pitching, and you think, I'm supposed to be in the majors, and I'm bored... You know, sometimes you just don't pitch up to your to your status. Then you get up to the big time, and the adrenaline starts to flow, and your talent starts to show. And maybe you stop thinking about why am I not here because you are there. And maybe that was something with him. I know he was quoted saying he was putting pressure on himself to prove why he was such a big part of the trade um, and that he was worth being, you know, getting for all the players that they gave up in McDonough and and JT Miller, for example. So I think that it was kind of like in a weird way. You're supposed to have more pressure when you're in the pros or in the in the NHL, and he actually I think he had less because he put so much pressure on himself in the AHL. He got the call up anyway, and he was like, "Well, I'm here now, so let me just play." And that's what happened. So I'm I'm really excited about him, even though it was only five games. But there's just a there's there's just a lot of molding that's going to happen, and I just I like what they've done with their defense just because they have taken chances and they have thrown things against the wall and they want everything to stick, and hopefully it will.
1: All right, Matt. I'm going to play a game with you, bud. I'm going to tell right. you. I'm going to tell you some names of Rangers defensemen. You're going to tell me who's in the starting lineup next season. Ready? Okay. Because all these guys are either pending RFA's or they are they are under contract. Shattenkirk, Stahl, Shea, Brendan Smith, Adam Fox, Lieber, Hayek, Freddie Clayson, who I think we can both agree will just be gone. Whether or not that's the right thing to do. Uh, Tony D'Angelo. Neil Pionk and Igor Raykov.
0: Okay, so Matt, that's ten names.
1: That's ten names. You only have six spots, and you're going
0: to have one probably. Yeah, so you have three yeah, of those guys so we'll, in the we'll AHL. Just,
1: we'll just push Clayson off the board, and then we'll say the right thing to do probably is to not is to say to Neil Pionk you need you trade him or get him in the HL, one or the other. And then from there, though, it's it's you say all right, well. We gotta buy somebody out, right, Brendan Smith? Because you can't trade Brendan Smith based on what his trade value is. So yeah, who, I mean, who do you think is, who do you think is the starting six next year,
0: or who you, who would you like it to be? Maybe is a better question. Oh man, who I like it to be? So, putting you on spot, Matt. Hot yeah, put me hot spot. Yeah, so I think rekoff's going to go in the AHL for sure. I, I don't think he's coming, going to jump into the NHL lineup, at least unless he has a training camp. This is but do they want to risk away. that because he could
1: jump to the KHL.
0: He could, uh, well, uh, if I'm, never if the contract, left, you never know. right, well, they keep him in the AHL the whole year. I think he can go back to Russia in year two, but not in year one. So he's in America for at least, or he's in the North, he's in North America for at least a year. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think he starts in the AHL unless he has a Brett Howden, like training camp where he just, you know, blows the doors off of everybody in terms of expectations wise. Um, a D'Angelo and Shea are absolutely in the lineup. There's no question. I think Adam Fox is in the lineup. You don't know, trade what you gave up for him, and and go through that. You know when you could have waited a year and got him for 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 nothing but you know an entry level money, um, you you have to put him in the lineup too. I think I think you have to, I agree. but you know. So I think that's three right there. I think Piong. I think this Piong is where should be interesting,
1: right? You got your yeah, three cause... that we all kind of agree on, and then it becomes. Wait a minute! Uh, You're gonna start flipping people and buying people out, and good God, it's gonna get tricky. The thing to me, the big thing to me, is you have you have to make a decision on a buyout, and I feel like a lot of people are under the belief that you just can't touch Mark Stahl because he's you know the kind of the de facto captain of the team, which I don't disagree with. Um, I, I think he holds a special value in terms of, of you know, what he is as a symbol in the locker room. But I also feel like that is often perhaps over, kind of overstated, based on the fact that Henrik Lundqvist is still a part of this team. And I know that you know maybe this time last year we were talking more about uh, about you know how Chris Kreider was kind of a dark horse and like a guy who could really kind of become a captain, maybe even Matt Zuccarello um, but I really feel like in some ways, I feel like Kreider's stock has been damaged since that time, and Mark Stahl's has just kind of stayed the same, but Zibinijad, I think, is kind of becoming a guy who I can see actually wearing the C, um, you know, over the next couple of years if, if it comes to that. But the question to me is, if you got to buy out one of Mark Stahl or Brendan Smith, Matt, what do you
0: do? Um, I actually think you buy out uh, Stahl. I think uh, Smith showed a little bit of versatility. I think he's a guy that I I feel like for some reason, Quinn, like, I mean, Quinn, I think, just stuck with Stahl because of the leadership thing. I think sometimes, you know, you see guys like stay on a team because, you know, they're good in the locker room. And I know a lot of people think that's overstated. I obviously Quinn saw that on top of. You know, thinking that he was a serviceable enough defenseman. I think if Stahl was a bottom pair defenseman and wasn't asked to do as much as he is, I mean, that's the thing that's really interesting to me about Stahl. I think people, I think the coaching staffs that he's been part of have asked him to do a lot more than I think he's truly capable of. Yeah, and so he's, he's been set injury. up to fail. Yeah, he's been set up to fail ever since he got hit in the eye. And so I think if, if used properly, he could be serviceable because. I mean, why are you asking a guy that's struggling to be your top pair of defense and your number one penalty kill defender? Like that doesn't that doesn't make any sense to me. I understand it from the from the fact of you know the other guys maybe you don't trust them either and you know it's going to be just as bad. But I'd rather have a guy and I'm just going to throw a name out there like D'Angelo fail in that spot at the age of 23 than a guy who's 35 who I know is going to fail. I mean, in the idea, Mark Stahl is not going to get any better. D'Angelo technically could get better. It's yeah, there is that there is that difference, and I so. I would buy out Stahl. I don't... Shattenkirk, Fox, D'Angelo, Shea... So that's your right
1: side. Shattenkirk, Fox, D'Angelo. And then you yeah. have
0: Shay. You have, you have Shea. And Shea. Yeah. Right. And Brendan Smith, I think, should should stay as well. I think if you had to go between uh, Pionk and, and Smith, I'd rather go Pionk because he's younger. You know, I can't sit there and say, I like the younger guys to so the veterans and then keep a veteran and get rid of a young guy in, in theory in that regard. But, um... You can't buy out both guys. And you know it's interesting looking at cap friendly for example. You know, Girardi got bought out. This is the year where his salary goes up. It's 3.6 million dollars of dead money on the cap. So yeah, you're buying out sense. Stall too. It's going to, you know, it adds a little bit. They have cap room. They're not like it used to be, so they're not they're not up against it, but I mean it's tough, man. I'll tell you this. I I hate the idea of letting Freddie Clayson go, from the sense of I think he was the perfect seventh defender, a he guy you can, yeah, that's you know, a great do way that. To put
1: it. He was the perfect seventh defender for this team, and we didn't get a real chance to really appreciate him, I think, or at least maybe not the uh, the Rangers bench didn't get that chance uh, because of the injuries and Adam McQuaid and you know Clayson, man, his his uh, his underlying numbers in terms of just shot suppression and zone entries, just preventing zone entries, just did his damn job i mean we we it's very i think it's hard for people to embrace when we see uh defensive defensemen who have solid possession numbers especially uh analytics in terms of things like shot suppression and you know evaluating that like you know people gush about jacob slavin um in carolina and you know getting an idea of like oh he's so damn good but like he's not gonna score Sixty points in a season, like that's just not in the cards for a guy like Jacob Slavin. But he's worth what he's worth because when he's out there, just he's just he, he's a fireman. He just puts out fires, right? Like things don't get out of hand when he's on the ice. Um, Wait a minute. Also, yeah, let's yeah.
0: not forget that fans. Really would love to see number eight of the Winnipeg Jets as a New York Ranger. I mean, Jacob Truba, right? I mean, yeah, but could where, that happen? Point,
1: where the hell does he fit, though, Matt? I was talking to, to Joe about this. In my opinion, like, I feel like the Fox trade kind of sunk Truba happening because the Rangers gave up the two two picks for him. And they, they obviously had, you know, their arms were overflowing with with draft picks, right? heading into this draft before they made, you know, they made that deal. Um, And like, I'm not against the deal for Fox. I feel like it was a bit of an overpay, but that's fine. Because you're saying we want this kid now. We want to develop him now. We want want to make him our player now and get him into the lineup. And I like all those things. The thing that I believe is that even in a world where the Rangers trade Kirk and buy out Brendan Smith... Like it would obviously depend a lot on what they'd get for Shattenkirk, but I I just ha- I really am not sure what they would give up in a Truba trade because he is considered to be like one of the biggest tickets in terms of a guy who's on the trading block who everyone knows is out there and available, and I know he's been linked to the Rangers for years now, and I know how you know, just how tempting it is to get a guy in his prime like he is, you know, and you can, you can sign him. So you can kind of get an idea of what sort of contract you want to give him. And, you know, he plays the right side. He checks off so many boxes. And the problem to me is just, I, I don't know where he fits and because Fox came over. And the other part of this is, do the Rangers want to give up more? Cause right now they're standing at, they have the two first round picks they have the two second round picks They have Dallas and Tampa They have their own third And then they have Columbus's fourth uh, Their fifth, their sixth And then in the seventh round they have CBJ's Seventh round pick And then next year they have A pick in all the rounds until the seventh round Where the Rangers will own the, t- the seventh round Of the 2020 draft, Matt Because we're picking three times there but Getting a bunch of sleepers Thanks to the... Uh, the Cory the the Cody McLeod and Merrick Mazanick trades. But uh the other the real thing I look at is like Jacob Troop is gonna bring back he's gonna cost a haul. Do the Rangers have a package that would get that deal done? I don't
0: know. Well, um do they have a pack? yes, I think they could make a deal work would you like the deal as it was constructed? That's see, that's the thing that's interesting when 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 other fans like ourselves talk about trades, right? I think any team could make any trade at any time. The if question is, are can you going to? Yeah. The question really is, do you the hypothetical you know, general manager, are you okay with what you're giving up? Could the Rangers, for example, I'm not saying they should do this, but let's say for example they went to they went to Winnipeg and they said, We'll give you your first round pick back, we'll give you Dallas's second round pick, and we'll give you, you know, a player. And you can, you know, name whatever player you want. Yeah, uh, you know, whatever. How are you gonna put a name on it? You're telling me they couldn't figure that out. They they could they could figure that out. Uh the question is again, will you like it? Will you like the trade? That would be the question. Um to be honest, so uh, that's what makes it kind of fun. I think uh, for the Rangers, quite simply, they're in a spot right now that their rebuild is at a crossroads. And when you say something's at a crossroads, it's usually kind of like a negative because you really don't know. And I'm not looking at it as a negative, it's a positive because when you start a rebuild, you're starting all the way at the beginning and you haven't reached anything yet, but now you're at this crossroads and you've hired a new president, you have the number two pick in the draft, which is either going to be a generational Jack Hughes or a generational Kako, right? And so, you, you've got that piece in your back pocket. Now, you the two, one of these two players, and you can go one way or the other. I mean, look at um, Winnipeg and Edmonton from uh, 2016, I assume Toronto and, and, and Winnipeg from 2016, they had these two great players 1 2 they got them both for Toronto and Winnipeg despite the fact that you know look at Toronto they haven't got out of the first round yet but they have this generational talent Winnipeg Patrick Laine is a really good player I wouldn't say he's generational because he's yeah. had his he's had his struggles he's you know he's a he's a down, sniper yeah. right but they've made it farther so it's kind of like, you know, those two teams were really struggling. Winnipeg had one playoff appearance before they got line A. They, they, the franchise turned around, not just with line A, but their rebuild started to really produce a lot more, and the younger players who became veterans, like, you know, Bufflin, for example, and Wheeler and them, you know, they, they were at one point young guys, you know, cutting their teeth in Winnipeg, and now they've become legitimate big-time stars for that team. And for Toronto, it's the same thing. Like, they went through toiling, they they hit rock bottom, they get number one, Matthews comes along, and other guys started to pick up their gameplay. I mean, Mitch Marner, you know, didn't become a great player overnight. You know, he he had the, he, he took some time to, to get there and things of that nature. And the Rangers are kind of where, in a way, kind of where Toronto was. And yeah, they that's... can really take off if, they, if everything goes their way. So they're at a crossroads, and either the rebuild's going to go, you know, swimmingly, they're going to add this number two pick, and they're going to just go for it or it's going to go south. God help us if it goes south. So hopefully when they <laughs> when they reach it they're going to go north instead of south. So that's what again that's what makes this off season so much fun when you're in the middle of a rebuild. If you're a fan that accepts rebuilding, meaning you accept the team's going to lose and they're going to make this deci- make decisions that are not popular and not maybe something you would decide, but if you are able to accept it and see the forest for the trees, it actually is kind of fun to go through this because there's so many possibilities. Now, in two years, if the team's still struggling, I'll sit there and say, boy, was I way off base, but... That's that's the mystery, and that's what this is. Rebuilding is like a mystery, and you don't know when you're gonna get out of it. You can get out of it like Toronto and eventually become a powerhouse team, although they've only made it they've never made it out of the first round, and you can blame the playoff system for partly of that. You know, whatever. And on the other hand, you could be like Edmonton, you have that one great year, but then you start going sliding back into oh, the tank yeah. again. So it's that's the mystery of it. You never know. I mean, when Edmonton got Connor McDavid and then went to the second round of the playoffs and, quite frankly, could have very easily been in the conference final, they could have beaten Anaheim a couple years ago, and they didn't. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought they would have fallen apart? I mean, it's not like McDavid's struggling. He's been MVP. But you know what?
1: Edmonton is a great cautionary tale to me because we talk about, you know, in, in a recent article in The Athletic, uh, they talked about how Panarin is a favorite uh, to end up in Florida now, not, not New York. Um, he was recently seen in South Beach with uh, with Bob and having fun down there. You know, his, his summer has begun with Columbus out. And, you know, it's there's some talk about, you know, what do the Rangers do if they don't get Panarin? Because, you know, I feel like this time last year, I talked to Joe about this recently. We were all talking about how Kovachuk is going to be here because that was the rumor. And, you know, if, if he wants to come to New York, he's going to want to be a Ranger. And, you know, the Rangers get The free agents they want, generally speaking And the thing That I I think of with with Edmonton Is they had You know, Dreisaitl And and Nugent Hopkins And McDavid And they had, you know, all these pieces in place Darnell Nurse Taylor Hall, for goodness sakes And, you know, they make They sign Lucic To that deal Like, you, you can really, really spoil your rebuild if you overreach and i i know that shirelli is like uh he's almost hyperbolic in terms of how sour things went like he's he's almost like a bad example because people will be like oh that's never going to happen again but it's it's professional sports these sort of things happen with with relative frequency we see things like many many millions of dollars are squandered in teams trying to turn it around too faster or figure it out or say like this is the missing piece and then you know they they go to bring it to the table to put the puzzle together and nope not the right piece
0: well, yeah, I mean, if you spend money on a player like that in this day and age in the NHL, I think you're just setting yourself up for failure. And that's why I think the Brendan Lemieux part of the Kevin Hayes trade was actually really smart because number one, he's young, he can still develop. Number two, he brings that sandpaper grit type game, but he can produce. And that's the thing that was so that was really missing. And that is basically they brought in a younger version of Brian Boyle, a guy who can Piss you off, but I'm and I'm talking about as an opponent, and on the other hand, can score big goals. I mean Brian Boyle For everything he's done in his career, I will always remember Game 7 against the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2014. He was so brilliant in that game. He scored the first goal of the game. He was so good in that game. It was ridiculous. And when they let him go, I really felt like that was actually, in a matter of all, a bunch of different things going wrong for the Rangers ending up where they are. That really hurt. I mean, because they could never replace him. A guy who who can, you know... Hit you in the face in one moment, and but then score a big goal in the next. And you know they didn't have that with Tanner Glass. They didn't have that with some of the other guys on the team. But they got, I think they got that with Lemieux. And that was the sneaky part of that Kevin Hayes trade because they get the first round pick, and that's what everyone's going to focus on—the first round pick, twentieth overall. They they get another uh, chip to throw into the on the poker table. But the Lemieux part of the trade I always thought was the most fascinating because they got a guy. Who can, who can do a little bit of everything. He can annoy you on the ice, but then he can also score. Kind of like his dad used to be, too, right? I mean, you know, he'll... Hope he's he'll,
1: less dirty than his dad.
0: Less dirty, yeah. Let's avoid, you that's know... My,
1: th- that's my hope. Because uh, I was very against the Mew trade when it happened at first. Then I said, you know what? Hold on. We saw so few first-round picks moved. And the other thing, like you're saying, it's a young guy. He's cost-controlled. Like, overall, he's... He's a guy who doesn't seem to create his own offense, but he just goes hard to the net. And the Rangers do have a deficit of that, right? They, that's one of the well, reasons yeah, why I- why Kaka is so like salivating. Salivating is an option because he just—he's a guy who just says, "Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the net when I want to. I'm, I'm big is. and strong, and I know how to do it." And Brendan Lemieux is a guy who will pay the price. And it maybe with the exception of probably Jesper Fast, the Rangers haven't had a guy who's w- willing to do that. And Jesper Fast is, you know. He's a guy. If he gets hit hard enough, he's going to
0: fly a couple feet in the air. Right. I think with Lemieux again, like I said, it's he he, he can actually do it all, but not hurt the team when yeah. he's in the lineup. You're not sitting there going, "Oh my God, why is he in the lineup over so and so?" At least not yet. I mean, maybe he maybe he reaches that point one day. I hope not. That would that would be a bad thing. So that's kind of what I'm saying. I the Rangers, the one thing say one of the many things Sather did wrong in his years as general manager or as um. As the president of the team was that he never really got the right piece to be that grinder until he got Brian Boyle and and, and before that Sean Avery too a little bit, but I think with Lemieux I think it's another itineration of what Brian Boyle, Boyle brought to the team and I mean I, I miss him every day as a Ranger a Boyle shorter.
1: I mean Boyle was yeah. six foot seven so
0: so yeah that that that's the I, I like I said I think again this this team is like a big ball of clay and I'm ex- I love the fact that John Davidson Jeff Gordon and David Quinn. Who have you know been either or just coming, or just been here a year, or been here a while? All three of them together are going to be able to hopefully mold this ball of clay into a team that becomes you know hopefully Stanley Cup champion one day. I mean, hey, you're going to shoot for something, you're going to shoot for the moon, right? So we have we have John Davidson as Patrick
1: Swayze. And Jeff Corton is Demi Moore from the scene from Ghost with the uh, the clay wheel. That's what we're going
0: uh, uh, to And the wheel is David Quinn spinning and turning yeah. what is that into, hopefully, something oh, really beautiful, beautiful like that scene.
1: Matt, beautiful. Um, actually, I, I knew this would happen because whenever our, you and I are chatting, it feels like we talk and then I miss two trains and I have to get home. Um, the I wanted to wrap up because you have... You know, you're, you have kind of a unique perspective, and like we've been talking a lot about the AHL this summer, um, and you have called uh, some games where you saw the Hartford Wolfpack, and you, I think you called games for the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The Sound Which Tigers is, in
0: 2014-15, yep. Yeah.
1: Which is the affiliate? For those who don't know, is the uh, even though it sounds like a Pokemon, it is the affiliate of the uh, of the the New York Islanders. I almost said Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't know why. Maybe because that sounds also like a, a Pokemon thing. Um, but I was wondering, before the show we were talking about this, and like I, I wish we had started recording earlier, but I wanted to ask you who the best player you... In terms of like a guy who you watched him at the AHL and you said, Oh, you know what? This, this guy's got it. This kid has it. And then you know, they, maybe they made it to the NHL and they didn't stick... Or maybe they never really made it to the NHL, and also conversely, who's the guy who's supposed to be great but never really even looked good in the NHL?
0: Well, they answer to the last question first, um, and mm. I know if there's any Islander fans who are listening to the show, and I'd be confused why, um, but um, it was Griffin Reinhart was the guy that was top five pick. He was, you know, a big part of what the Islanders were trying to to do on the blue line. I mean, him and Ryan Pulak were the two big prospects on the Sound Tigers the year I was there in 2014-15, and where Pulak, he got hurt that year, and I think it set him back, and he had injuries in the AHL that, that set him back a little bit. And I, and I have to admit, when you work for an AHL team, when you work for a minor league team, even though, like, they're part of the rival team. Like, Pulak's an Islander. I don't like the Islanders as a Rangers fan. But when he scores, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That's the guy I thought he was going to be. You know, when he plays well, yeah, he played pass. well this year. Yeah, you, you start to be, you start to think about the... The human, as opposed to the jersey he's wearing, so for so for me, Pulak was the guy that I always felt was going to really go jump into the NHL. I mean, the AHL, he had that shot. I mean, people talk about his his slap shot. His slap shot, even now compared to then, it's it's still over 100 miles an hour. The guy was always a guy who was on the power play. That power play for the Sound Tigers that he was really good for the most part. Um, it was especially early when he was healthy, and I always thought he was translate. Reinhardt was he was bad in the AHL, and it just. I was saying this to you off the air. The trade the Islanders made to get him to Edmonton and get a first round pick and turn it into Matt Barzal is just, it's such a fleecing and is such a, <laughs> it's something that I think as Garth Snow's tenure starts to drift from Islander fans' memories. Uh, it'll always be looked at as a bad thing, but every GM makes at least one good move, I think. At least there's always something they do. I don't yeah. think it's always 100% a disaster, and it, for Snow, it really wasn't 100%. It might be 98%, but the 2%, I mean, getting rid of Reinhardt and getting Barzal was a stroke of genius. Well, he draft pick, and then he took Barzal. I mean, he, you, you know, yeah. he got he, he 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 got the draft pick that turned into that. So that was something. To um, talk about certain guys... Um, I mean, there really was the goalies. Uh, We saw Matt Murray with Wilkes-Barre Scranton that year was just off the charts. I mean, he just – he dominated games – um, and I know that Adam, I know Adam Herman's not the biggest Matt Murray fan. I remember he tweeted something early in the year about about Murray, uh, about not being as good, I think it was. I don't want to put, you know, I, I can't remember all fans. I don't want to make it a, a, a simple, you know, statement because I could be a little bit off base at least. Um, but I know he wasn't a big, <laughs> the Penguin fans were enthralled with, with his thoughts on Matt Murray in a general sense. But boy, he was really good that year. Andre Vasilevsky was with Syracuse and, you know, I mean... You know, uh, a year later, there he is playing in net for the Lightning in the Stanley Cup Final, and what he's doing now—he yeah, could be the Vesna Trophy crazy. winner. Yeah, I mean, so you saw a lot of great players. I mean, uh, you know the thing about the AHL that's really interesting—the last five years, a lot of the teams and a lot of the affiliates that were part of those teams—they don't exist anymore. You know, the the Portland Pirates. Don't exist anymore. Now it's the Maine Mariners in the ECHL. Yeah. The Manchester Monarchs. The year that I was there, they were the AHL champions, and now they don't even exist. They had to get, get bumped down the ECHL, and now they're closing up shop. And it's like, wow, that team won the championship the year I was in the league. So I mean, it's 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 bittersweet being in the minor leagues because so many players come in and out, and they they you know they have their. They have their moments. It's really a different I,
1: world, right? It's, it's, yeah. It's not just the fact that, you know, the, the faces change very quickly. And yeah, I mean... And the thing is, the landscape of the league changes quickly. Um, when, I, wh- I feel like that's something that Rangers fans should kind of keep in mind with how impatient... I mean, I think it's a, it's a well-earned impatience with how Hartford went, but it will take a little bit of time to put back together. Because actually, that year when you were calling the games for the Sound Tigers, we talked about this before the show... That was almost, that was kind of like the last time the Hartford Wolf Pack were kind of worth a damn, right? Like, yeah, they, they as you were telling me, I completely forgot this. It's just so random. Like, I, I looked at the roster that year and they had like Thomas Caberle, who is a long, long, long time Toronto Maple Leaf, played two games, uh, you know, for the Wolf Pack that that season, and uh, Henrik Tallinder also played. You know, both both were you know, you know, I think you know late thirties or. Goodness knows how old they were at the time, but it's just—it just, it just kind of, you know, they, they 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 had a good playoff run, but they were not like a an AHL developmental team. That is not at all what they looked like.
0: No, uh, yeah, they 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 were a team. I mean, I'm looking at the standings again. They finished um in third in the third in the conference. They were division champions that year. They finished with 95 points. I mean, the Sound Tigers that year finished in last place um at 64 points, even though they actually scored the se- bad uh, luck, Matt. Bad luck. They gave them a lot of goals. I mean, again, oh, you want to talk about something crazy about the AHL? And you want to talk about the Olympics. When you had the, the, the no NHL players in the most recent Winter Olympics, yeah, yeah. you had Kevin Poulin, former Islander, oh, who was a Sound yeah, Tiger, was the starting yeah. goalie for Team Canada, and David Leggio, who is extremely famous in Sound Tiger history, for shoving the net off the moorings during a 2-on-0 and kind of saying, well, yeah. I'm not going to face two guys. I'd rather face, face one. I'm not going to face two
1: guys alone. I'll take the it's honestly
0: he, a smart goddamn move. It was a smart... And it created the David Leggio rule, which will live in infamy in AHL lore. Um, And they were in the Olympics together. Leggio was a goaltender for Team USA. Poulin was the starter for Team Canada. And that was like... Wait a minute, these two guys who, who combined and amongst, amongst other players on the team gave up the most goals that year in the Eastern Conference, and I think the second most goals in the entire league that year That's were beautiful. starting for their Olympic teams. It was interesting. I'll tell you a player, too, by the way, and I know we're, we're going long here, that really no worries, stood out no to me. Was Syracuse that year was really good. And, of course, Syracuse and Tampa Bay, the one thing about Tampa Bay that they've been so successful is that their AHL team has been extremely oh successful. Gosh, Julian yeah. Brisebois was the GM. And now he's the GM of the, of the Lightning proper. And he was he was running that show. And Jonathan Marshall and I'm, I'm, re, re, I'm remembering things, but so by the way, when I saw how to pronounce his name, I would asked ask the video coach how to do it. Because I used to practice announcing first periods of games on a computer and then giving it to... Uh, Phil Jubileo, of course, announced his games in the NWHL with me, and he was a Sound Tiger voice at the time, and was my boss as an in- when I was interning. And Marshall Shaw had a great year, and he was a guy that really stood out to me as someone who was, you know, I mean, now look at him. He's a major piece for the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, he was he was kind of bouncing around, was of course with, the at the time, the Connecticut Whale and the, the Wolfpack That's organization. Right. And he went to Syracuse, he had a couple really good years there, and then he goes to Florida, has the big breakout, and before you know it, like I said, big piece of I mean, a key cog. Maybe he could be captain one day of the Vegas Golden Knights, which would really be unbelievable. I don't know if that's you know going to happen, but he's been there two years, and you know he's been a, a very good player for them.
1: He definitely yeah. earned it. He earned it the yeah. hard way.
0: And he was a guy in Syracuse. I mean, he, you know, he was pretty good, but you never knew he was going to be anything special. I mean, compared to what he was now. I mean, you know, he's again a big piece on a team that's been very good for two years. And I said this to you too. Um, for Islander fans, and again, you know, I know Ranger fans don't want to listen to a good thing about the Islanders, but Alan Quine was a player in the Sound Tigers in 14-15, and he was a solid player for them, and he got a cup of coffee during the Islanders' playoff run that year when they lost in the first round to Washington. And, they, yeah, he did. And the very next year, he may, he's on the Islanders, he's, you know, a grinder-type player, he's not a, you know, top six or really even top nine guy. If he was top nine, he was nine of nine, right? And He scores a huge goal that's kind of forgotten in Islander history because everyone talks about, you know, the the game winner by Tavares against Florida, or maybe Islander fans don't want to remember that specifically, but point is that he scored the game-winning goal that sent him to the second round for the first time in a million years, but people don't remember Alan Quine scored in double overtime in Florida Remember, there was a penalty shot in that game that, that Grice stopped, and then, of course, Quine scores the game winner, and I remember sitting there, and I was in my home, this is 2016, and I'm just thinking to myself, my God, I was just I interviewed this guy a bunch of times during the season a year ago, now he's scoring double overtime Stanley Cup playoff goal to win a game to give the Islanders a 3-2 series lead, and of course, they went on to win that series. And so that was kind of cool. So you start to see those kind of guys. You go, yeah, I remember him. I remember him. I mean, Joey Mormina was an assistant coach with Hartford this past year, and I remember joking with you on Twitter in a direct message. I remember you wrote, like, Joe Mormina. I'm like, Joe Mormina. I'm like, who? the who? hell is Joe Mormina, yeah? Joe, you mean Joey Mormina, the defenseman for the Syracuse Crunch. So it's stuff like that that's pretty fun.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, God, it's, I, I knew you would be fun on the show just because you're one of those people who, you have one of those memories that's perfect for sports broadcasting you're just you're just a sponge you just have all these fun memories and uh it was really fun having you on the
0: show matt where can people follow you on the twitter machine uh, so if they want to follow me on twitter and if you are bereft of women's hockey thoughts then i am i am one of many places you should follow but you can follow me at matt f PXP um don't talk a lot about the rangers normally on the twitter i kind of have a rule with my broadcasting twitter not to go too deep into my professional men's sports teams because i can get a little you know crazy you know and as um as herman edwards once said the former coach of the jets you know think before you tweet (laughs) i think a lot before i tweet about men's teams so i keep it really to the riveters but you can follow me there i usually talk about play-by-play stuff and whatnot and uh yeah so you can follow me there um and that's pretty much it uh and I gotta tell you, I'm not even a big social media fan per se. I have it really for my career. And hopefully one day, uh, I'll get the call again at Madison Square Garden. That is the dream. And I have to you said about John Davidson, um Man, it's really cool to have J.D. back in the fold because he was such a great broadcaster, and I hated it when he left. I I, I, oh, yeah. I love Joe Micheletti, don't get me wrong, but it J.D. A was one of the kind. It took me a long
1: time. It took me a long time to warm up to Joe Micheletti, and it's not a strike against Joe Micheletti. It's because those shoes were just too big, Matt. Like I grew up on John Davidson. Like He was mother's milk. He was just... You- he was, we are he was, so like he was religion in my household, and uh, when when JD left, I was like, "Well, what the hell are we supposed to do now?" At least we had Sam. Like Sam we were was so
0: there. we are so blessed in New York State and in in the in the tri-state area to have such great broadcasters past and present that have done hockey. Doc Emmerich with the Devils, Sam with the Rangers. Kenny Albert does radio with the Rangers, obviously. Brendan Burke with the Islanders, who's a great broadcaster, and he's a rising star in our profession. Melody's great
1: too. I love uh, that.
0: Right, as a color guy. I'm sorry to just play by play. I mean, yeah, but you can go into the color guys too pick from your
1: own team there. You play by play boys.
0: Yeah, I mean hey, Sam is an icon in this in this town and like I said, it's just we're so blessed we were so blessed growing up, Mike, with those guys, and that's those are the guys I look up to and will continue to look up to as a broadcaster myself. So, I mean, that, but to have J.D. back in the fold, I think the Rangers are going places big time. He's going to do a great job for them. Right, well, again, a special
1: thanks to Matt, and a uh, shout-out to Joe and Joe's family. Hope all is going well. And you can listen to Off the Post, probably with uh, special guest Matt Falconberry. uh tomorrow, I think, is how we do the podcast. I don't know. Normally, I just hand this off to Joe, let him deal with stuff. Might have to figure it out this week. But uh, that'll be all. Have a great week, friends. Bye-bye.